Hi, I'm Luca, and this is Little Infinities. With me today, I have Becky Hart. And remind me of the title of your job again. Okay. Hi, Luca. I'm Becky Hart, and I am the curator of modern and contemporary art at the Denver Art Museum. My title is the Vicky and Kent Logan Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art. You have dedicated your life to art. That's true. Um, I went to college thinking I was going to be a pre-med student, and I took an art class as a gut and fell in love. You just said that you went there initially as a med student, um, and that's very intellectually based, and then you just took a art one, and here you are as your job is to curate art. Um, what do you think is the difference between art and intellect? Wow, that's quite a question. Well, first of all, I think art includes intellect uh, because art is, for me, my understanding of art, and particularly contemporary art, is um, an, an exchange of ideas through a visible through a visual medium, whether it be TV, paint, sculpture, you know, words written on a page, etc., it takes intellect to do that. So that that those two things are inseparable. I think the distinguishing part is that art, one, great art takes a um, takes a stance and proselytizes or teaches, and two, great art has something about it that is transformative. And by that, I mean that you can, oh, let me give you an idea. You could translate a very simple line drawing of a house and tell me that the house has four windows and three doors and what have you, or Translating it in an artistic way, you might tell me about how it feels to step through the threshold and what it is to look in or out of the windows. So that there's an experiential component that adds an emotional layer. With that, could the argument be made that, for example, have you seen the video of like um, a child getting hearing aids for the first time, a deaf child getting hearing aids for the first time? Um, and that's very intellectually based, but would you not say that the experience that it gave that child was artistic? The experience itself, wow, is that artistic? I think that given my definition of art and transformation, absolutely. Now, that experience couldn't happen without science as well. At the same time, that, you know, that, that was uh, being able to hear for the first time is a miracle. And um, I can't say all art is miraculous, but there are great works of art that capture that sense of wonder that that child would have had. And, you know, I think that when you say sense of wonder, there could be some, uh, some apprehension that comes with it because you've never heard words before, heard them in that way before. Um, and I think that there are artworks that are very difficult to look at or when you think deeply about the content, um, you know, 
we have so many uh, history paintings, for instance, that recorded great times in uh, great events in the world. Think of all those paintings um, throughout time that show hundreds of men being slaughtered on a battlefield, which is a pr pretty horrific image. Or, I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or the wrath, the raft of the Medusa, which is a shipwrecked group of people, or Picasso's Guernica, which commemorates the uh, Spanish bombing of a village. You know, the, the, so great works of art can have really kind of tough, difficult content. I think one of the things that is so important, though, is that they present that content in a way that both the emotionality is uh, visible, but at the same time, it's visible in a way that is accessible. And often, uh, you can you can learn about the story in a different way. You know, we talked about a child getting hearing aids for the first time. What was that experience for? Was did you ever have an experience like that, where a piece of, where something, or art just made you feel this incredible emotion? Um, and did that possibly draw you to art instead of pre med? I think I was already converted before I saw a painting that had had that conversion. I had that conversion experience, and that was uh, at the Louvre uh, in Paris. And seeing they have a vast collection of Rembrandts, and one of the Rembrandts is Bathsheba at, at her bath at the bath, and. I know that you one. know it. I know that one. Yeah. I'm shocked. Okay. Yeah. And you see in her eyes the sorrow of her revelation that her her lover, her husband, is going to be murdered. And it's it, it's that moment that she that's captured that that is such a human expression of sadness, of loss. Um, when I saw that, I, I understood art in a different way. Wow. What drew you to art? Why not just, you know, why not just go straight for the big paycheck? Because art doesn't have this, you know, reputation for being an extremely high paying job. Like artists aren't normally paid very well. Um, why, what drew you to this art? Because there has to be something that drives you so close to it. Well, I think being a curator and being an artist are both vocations and something that you feel called to do. So as a curator, I feel like my job is to connect audiences to artworks and to, and particularly as a contemporary curator, to help contemporary artists create language around their work. And by this, I mean that artists... I trust that an artist really knows what they're doing when they make a work of art, even if it's stream of consciousness. There's a surety in what they're doing as they make their work. There's a questions, you know, they're resolving questions, but there's a, a certain faith that, what, that, that they know what they're doing, that if they're a painter, their hand translates what's in their body, in their mind, in their heart. But they don't always have the words to talk about it 
And that's one of the things I help artists do is that I help them think of, you know, they may be reading quantum science, for instance, but I might be the person who says, you know, have you looked at this, this equation and that equation? And if you do, will you see time or space in a different way? And so that might be what's churning through their head. And then later we might have a conversation about time or about some, some physical, you know, more uh, something that has um, the language of science, but how do we take that language of science and translate it into a visual format? Why do you feel drawn to do that? Like you seem very, very passionate about that. This seems like something you really, really care about. As I said, it is a vocation. I found that I was trained not only as an art historian, but also as an artist. And I found that when I was in graduate school, that I had this ability to use words in a a different associative way and a different type of associative thinking than a lot of artists had. And I began to think about, you know, I had already trained as an art historian and I realized that by understanding how art is made and really developing my skills as a creative and at the same time using that other side of me, which is analytical and associative, that I could bridge, I could create this bridge. And for me, that became really important. Um, Through my career, I've been fortunate to work with many emerging artists and several emerging artists who've become very famous. And it's just wonderful to start having conversations with them about something. And suddenly, or eventually, you find what we were talking about creep into the imagery in their artwork. And I can give you an example. I was working with um, a woman named Julie Maratou, and she's quite famous these days. She is a MacArthur genius, Um, but I worked with her early in her career, just the year she got the MacArthur Fellowship. And we were doing a piece in uh, Detroit, and I was reading a lot of architectural theory about erasure. In other words, what was happening to the urban core and what happened as buildings were being being removed, but there were people that were being removed. There were histories that were being removed. And so we started to talk about this idea of erasure because her work is very, in an abstract way, is very much about the movement of populations and sort of uh, dynamic social forces in the world. And then I saw this painting and she had decided to paint and then sand it away and erase it and paint. Yeah. And so what happened was um, she was, as she would, you know, erase, which was sanding her surface away, what was happening was she would leave a ghost because little bits of the former painting, former image were still there. And those, were, you saw them at the same time as you saw the next layer of the image. And so 
in fact, she was actually physically, visually creating what we were talking about happening in neighborhoods really in large cool. cities. That's, that's actually so creative. I never would in a million years think of that as a method of showing erasure. Like to to do that is insane. I guess one of the things that I've seen happen, though, is something that does get erased is the significance of art in schools. Have you noticed how, like, every time there's a budget cut, it's always like, oh, well, the art program's gone now. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm even a victim of that. Um, I'm in my 60s, but I went to a school that didn't teach art and didn't have an art appreciation program. You could take speech, you could take acting, but not no visual arts. Um, as I've said before, art teaches you to, to, to think in different ways. And, you know, there's a lot of science behind the fact that, uh, you know, listening to music changes how the neurons fire in your brain, you know, and different colors change how your brain activity. So um, it's not like taking art out of the schools is doing anybody any favors. It's just something that is, uh, it's an efficient way to do a budget cut, probably causing all sorts of other educational losses. And I, by efficient, I don't say it's good. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that term, that word efficiency gets thrown around as like an always good term. And I'm like, no, like Nazis were very efficient. That doesn't mean what they did was good. And so I think in our strive, in our society, in our market as well, we are striving so much for efficiency. We are overlooking the next generation. How how do you think that affects, have you seen like anything in your experience of being a part of the Denver Museum? As to, you know, my generation, like, are there less of us coming to see art? Are there less of us interested? Are less people applying to art school? Like, do you see that in any way? I've been in Denver for five years. And when I came here, one of the things that fascinated me is that Friday nights, the museum is filled with people who are between 15 and 40. And I see that sometimes on the weekends as well. And it's interesting because Denver, people in Denver really want to be visually literate, you know, and I don't know whether it's the mural program or, you know, some of the music programs that we all have access to, but there is a curiosity here. And it's that curiosity that drove me to uh, move to Denver and to accept this job. Um, I felt that coming from Detroit, I felt that there was uh, this openness to ideas and the entrepreneurial spirit that you find here is kind of, let's try that. You know, that's the question Let, or the, the statement. Let's try that. I haven't done that. Let's try it. And um, so I'm not, I do see lots of young people because the truth is to have a successful business plan if you're an entrepreneur or even if you're, you know, somebody who is uh, starting or thinking about a career in the sciences, you need visual organization. You need some creative links between improbable situations. And that's very much like the way artists work. And so I do see it 
and I'm really, it's really exciting. Yeah, I find it interesting that we've separated this idea of, you know, art and science and throughout history, the people that we hold up as artists were also the people we hold up as scientists, like Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, or Albert Einstein, who, who played the organ, you know, just an amazing organ player. Um, when I was a pre-med student, I worked in the summers at University of Kansas Medical Center. And the doctors who ran the labs that I worked in, they all played in the symphony orchestra, too. Um, I think there is this correlation uh, that's a little bit more natural between music and the sciences, because music has a standard set of the notation and the octave, and there are standard rhythms, etc., that you either work with or against. Um, it's a little bit closer to straight science and analytics, but um, there are also some really great painters who have had scientific backgrounds as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Da Vinci would be the absolute. That man was insane. He could just he just did whatever he wanted. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I admire all these people throughout history and. Having talked about, you know, budget cuts and how that affects our growth, especially um, when in the younger ages, as well as that you've seen the museum packed with people from 15 to 40 um, on a Friday night um, of all nights. Would you say that humans are intrinsically drawn to the visual arts? I don't think everybody has the privilege of being able to see art. What what is what are the visual arts? Don't have the privilege of perhaps coming to a museum. Not everybody does. But there's a different way to think about this. Do you see you know street art? Do you see murals along the river? Um, do you ever pick up a package in a grocery store because there's something about that label that attracts you? That's art too, you know, art is pretty diverse. It goes everywhere from kind of the most way out performance to the packaging design, um, you know, the design on the bottle of a ketchup or something like that. Uh, so it's a little bit, I, I don't feel comfortable generalizing like that, oh, but course. I do say that it is a privilege to get to come to a museum. And I, I don't mean that in an elite way, but that it's not offered to everybody. I'm working right now with a South African artist who grew up in, in the townships. And he talks about having nothing but taking a stick and drawing in mud. And that's when he first started. He, he you know, traces his uh, art experience down, back to just, stick drawings, you know, drawing with a stick as your tool in the mud because there's there's no paper. There's, you know, there, there's nothing extra in the life that he had. You know, he had love. He had shelter. Um, he had people who cared for him and mentored him. But he didn't have the money or access to things like pencils, papers, crayons, etc. Let alone like a massive... Uh granite slab to carve out David. <laughs> exactly. And now he's having a one-person show at the Denver Art Museum. From what it sounds like, 
it sounds like humans are always intrinsic. Like art will find a way. It doesn't matter if you don't have like. It's not about will it make you money. It's not about like do you have access to X material because it sounds like from that story at least art found a way. Art, art, I think art does find a way. You know, um, you think about the cave paintings. People seeing their shadows on the walls of caves and somehow representing that and then representing their livestock and eventually representing themselves in community. You know, that's, that's, there, there's a lot of evolution in thinking from, you know, the first shadow to uh, what are your possessions and then who do you relate to? Um, and that, those things were done in the simplest ways. You know, these are basically pigmented clays that pigmented earth that they used and, um, it can happen. It, it is everywhere. I think that, um, the human heart seeks visualization and sometimes I, I'm, I work in the visual arts. I think the human heart seeks words that mean something uh human mind does too i would definitely share that opinion with you so as a last question if there's anything you could tell everyone my age a piece of advice or something to share with the listeners what would it be that's a hard question i don't think i have a piece of advice um I think that we are living in such difficult times uh, between the pandemic, between the social and political world that we're living in, uh, the, um, and the economics around all of that. I'll tell you what my mother used to say when I was going through scrapes, and I love this statement. I say, Mom, when is it going to get better? And she'd say, honey, it's never getting getting better. It's just going to get different. So with that, I think my mother was telling me to get happy, figure out what it is that feeds me spiritually and physically. And uh, I think that that's, that's what it is. That's my only piece of advice. I don't think that there is any, any straight career path. And certainly the world that I grew up in is changing so radically that, and you know, people your age are 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 creating the new world order. So I, I put that in your hands. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, and this is Luca signing off on Little Infinities. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.